Blog Talk Radio. Black Hole Radio presents Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. With your hosts, Rudolph Muhammad and Yusuf Muhammad. There's a train of coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on. Just get on. All you need is faith to hear the dealers calling. Don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. Train to Jordan Picking up passengers Coast to coast Open the doors and bore them People get ready. There's a train coming. Peace and blessings, peace and blessings. Welcome to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, a program that wants you to become self-reliant in taking appropriate action in response to any emergency. The song by our dear brother Curtis Mayfield, may God be pleased with him. People get ready. There's a train coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. And so we welcome all of our first-time listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We thank all of our constant and consistent listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We thank you for the honor of your ear and the privilege of your presence. People, get ready. There's a train to come, and you just thank the Lord. So giving thanks to the all-wise, true, and living God, the architect of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and all that's in between. Once again, uh, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we thank you and we say welcome to you to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, an online radio 
platform that comes to you every Friday from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, This program, like the gospel singer Hezekiah Walker and the sister-sister group Mary Mary would sing, we need you to survive. We uh, promote public awareness and engage in public outreach to inform, to educate, and to train all people in how to best prepare for, respond to, and recover from all emergencies. Our objective is to ensure that everyone has a reasonable working knowledge of disaster preparedness and to help you to determine the best choices in any emergency response to avert danger and to save lives. Our vision here is that each individual citizen, including every capable man, woman, and child, understand their personal responsibility for the safety of themselves, their family, their neighbors, and the overall well-being of the larger community. Welcome to uh, this weekly edition where we're kicking off Black History Month, and um, we're blessed to have two guests uh, this afternoon, this evening, our dear brother, Brother Chief William Spike Jones, retired out of the St. Louis Fire Department, and uh, our brother Antoine, who will be on as well. He's multitasking, and as you know, all of us multitask in this business of uh, disaster preparedness. Brother Antoine Robinson, who's a paramedic instructor for FDNY and commanding officer of the Bed-Stuy Volunteer Ambulance Corps. So we have a chock full of uh, information, good stuff this week. Not that it's not that every week, but let me get out of your way and have our dear co-host, Brother Rudolph T. Muhammad, welcome you in the way that he's guided. As-salamu alaykum, Brother Rudolph, and welcome. Wa alaykum salam, Brother Yusuf, beginning all things in the name of the Most High, the true and living God. No matter where you are on the planet, no matter what your faith, tradition, your customs, we're talking about that one who is responsible for your and my existence on this planet at this day and time. That one who is responsible for all that was, is, and ever will be. That one that put all of this into motion and set it and put it in existence before we got here to ensure that we had everything we needed once we touched down on the planet. He's called by many different names. He's called Allah. He's called Yahweh. He's called Jehovah. He's called God. He, you know, whatever you call him, that's the one that we're talking about. So we're giving honor, praise, and thanks to him and to him alone for allowing us to be here this day and this time in this dispensation of time. And we thank him for pouring out his spirit amongst humanity over the years and coming to the people in the form of different men over the years who were blessed with his spirit and with his words 
and so they are affectionately dubbed as prophets, messengers, and sages because they bring a, a timely message that's brought to a specific people at a specific time on the planet. Now, understand, a prophet's message is never old because there's always wisdom in there that can help you and I if we but knew. So, once again, here on Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, we thank you for tuning in with us this week because we realize you could be anywhere else doing anything else. But since you chose to be here, we pray that we say something that's edifying of your spirit, of your intelligence, and of your mind and helps get you one step closer to being prepared than you were before you tuned in to this show. Now, Brother Yusuf laid down the ground rules or the rules uh, of engagement for this show, and all I will add to that is this. We can disagree without being disagreeable. There's nothing wrong with a healthy debate because you don't have to think like I do, and I don't have to think like you do. But no matter how contentious our points may be, there's some point that we can agree on, and once we find that point, then let's focus on that point that we agree on and leave everything else alone. So, Brother Yusuf, I'm not going to take any more time. Let's, um, you know, let, let, let's get this ball rolling. Because as he said, yes, this train is already on the track and it's already rolling. So we're already in motion. So next stop is enlightenment, inspiration, and education. Brother Yusuf. Thank you, Brother Rudolph. I appreciate you, sir, for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will continue to do by the Most High's permission. As I mentioned <laughs> earlier, uh, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we've been blessed to have uh, a special guest uh, this evening, our dear brother, my dear brother, Brother Chief William Spike Jones, who's retired out of St. Louis, uh, Hello? Yeah. Off the air. Chief, Chief, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, um, I don't know what happened with um, Brother Yusuf, but, you know, we know this goes on every week. He is out there busy trying to make sure that the message does not get out. But we cannot let the devil get the victory. Because we have a job to do, and we didn't fill out an application for this job. This job was bestowed upon us by the almighty, all-wise creator. And so because of that, and because we know that we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, and we are forever in the red 
so we can never repay the debt. We have to pay it forward. Brother Yusuf? Yes, sir, Brother Rudolph. Thank you. And forgive me, uh, family, technology is great, just not an exact science. So as I was trying to introduce my brother, brother, um, I call him affectionately Spike, Brother Chief William Spike Jones. It's interesting that Brother Rudolph would say something about being in the red. And so we thank God for our mentor, uh, Brother Dr. Carl Holmes of the Dr. Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute, a retired chief uh, out of Oklahoma City who passed away a few years ago. But at that institute, we have a mantra, Brother Rudolph, that says, all that I am, I owe. I live eternally in the red. All yes, that sir. I am, I owe. I live eternally in the red. All that I am, I owe. I live eternally in the red. So our dear brother, our guest uh, this afternoon, has recently written a book entitled The Fire Within, which is an expose of the lives of black firefighters in America that illustrates the trials and tribulations regularly faced in the fire service. Disparity of treatment exists among black and white firefighters in America, and this subtle form of racism is the motivating force that compelled retired Chief William Spike Jones to document the treatment of black firefighters in America. From his childhood memories, college basketball career, and years spent as a firefighter, he has compiled a volume of incidents, situations, and actions regarding not only the disparity of treatment, but also the hate factor which saturates the fabric of American society. Retired Chief Jones possesses an abundance of experience and knowledge regarding the treatment of black firefighters, not only in St. Louis, but nationwide. His professional resume is unbelievable. It's a who's who in the firefighting world. This work provides a vivid picture of black firefighters in America and their determination to be treated with respect and dignity. Who else deserves more if not those who put their lives on the line on a daily basis to give the ultimate sacrifice, regardless of race or color. Our dear brother has conducted more than 100 workshops and seminars across this country. The firefighters, captains, and chiefs who have attended his specialized sessions have been promoted in cities all over America, such as Birmingham, Chicago, Jackson, New Orleans, Los Angeles, Houston, Dallas, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and more. Retired Chief Jones is a certified assessor for the state of Illinois and president and seat of Midwest Fire Investigative Services. He is also an instructor at the Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute in New Orleans, Louisiana. So without further delay, let us welcome our guest here on Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, Brother Chief, retired Chief William Spike Jones. Welcome, sir, and thank you. Thank you there, Brother Muhammad. Young man, I 
I was listening to that uh, people get ready. I used to sing that back in the firehouse back in the 70s. See? Connect the dots. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. Yes, sir. That's what we do. Okay. So, Brother Chief, mm-hmm. I know that, um, you know, I read read the piece that, you know, is in your book, the description of uh, uh, what it is and, you know, is written so beautifully. But tell us, what was the catalyst of your inspiration and, and why now? Well, you know, everybody has a story to tell. And if you don't tell your story, somebody else will, or maybe they won't. Mm. And I thought about it, I said, well, you know, I would like to know about what happened or what my grandfather went through a uh, hundred years ago. Uh, my great-grandfather. So I've got like nine grandchildren and six, uh, four boys and two girls uh, that uh, they have uh, a little idea of what I might have went through, but uh, this is a more vivid picture. I decided to uh, uh, put together a string of events that have happened to me across the country, uh, a string of events that have happened to uh, other black firefighters and females across the country, and uh, offer some solutions, if you will. I was talking to uh, uh, Fire Chief Bob Demons in San Francisco, and he mm-hmm. had read my book. And, Man, you just didn't write a book. He said, you offered, uh, you wrote a white paper. Mm-hmm. Said, white paper? And I'd never heard of a white paper. Yes, so sir, a white paper. Yeah, you said what now? I, oh, I would just agree. Yes, sir. It, it is a, uh, yeah. So I didn't know what a white paper was. So I looked it up, and it says, uh, it basically said that, uh, not only do I offer a, or, or do I present problems, but I offer a solution to the problem. And that's one of the things I try to say in the book. Uh, the problems dealing with hiring, harassment, and, uh, and testing in the fire service. And, and like I said, I wanted to leave something for my grandbabies. I had to do that. That's and, beautiful. That's what it's all about, that legacy. Go ahead. Mhm. Mhm. So in this particular firehouse that I, I first firehouse I went to, I uh, was like a kid in kindergarten. You know, first day I'm I'm looking to be greeted by uh, by uh, and welcomed into the firehouse. And that morning at roll call, we had like a triple house that we had two pumpers and a what they call a hook and ladder. And at roll call, there would be 13 people on one side of the line and coming in, and you would have 13 people going home. And I'm looking for the mm-hmm. captain to introduce me, and I'd shake everybody's hand. That didn't happen. You know, the captain came out and said what he had to say, and, and roll call was dismissed. And uh, I'm standing there all by myself, and I'm like, mm, okay. Uh, lunchtime came around. They had uh, – uh, cheese sandwiches and and uh, uh, tomato Campbell's tomato soup. <laughs> I wasn't offered into the luncheon. Dinner rolled around. They had uh, baked chicken, um, mashed potatoes, string beans, cornbread, and uh, you know I wasn't asked. 
In fact, the first four working days I was at the fire station, no one spoke to me except for the captain. And he said, well, here's your locker. Uh, here's your bed. And uh, here's a mop. Go mop the floor. Wow. Now, give wow. us a sense yeah. of when this was, Brother uh, Chief Spike. What what year was this? This is 1972. 1972. After about three months, you know, uh, they said, well, uh, your elders will go southern. So I said, okay. Well, I didn't have a car at the time. And um, I said, well, I can walk. I can walk over to Engine House 9. That's on the cover of my uh, book. And uh, I had missed the bus, you know, about a mile and a half. Oh, I can make it. So my uh, cousin, uh, I had this duffel bag he brought home from Vietnam, army bag, and I had my uh, boots, coat, uh, helmet, uh, bedding, and food in this duffel bag. And as I was walking to Engine House 9, I see the chief, the battalion chief, and his drivers back then, they had drivers, I don't know, but they had a driver for the battalion chief. And uh, I saw them, and I'm about, I guess, maybe half a mile from the fire station. And I throw my hand up, waving at them. I'm thinking they're going to stop and give me a look. Well, they kept going. And I'm like, well, damn, you know, what's going on here? My head yeah, fell mm-hmm. down. As my head fell down, I'm at 30 and Howard, downtown St. Louis. There's an auction block where they sold black wow. people, mm-hmm. separated wow. families, uh, and did whatever they did with black people on the auction block. And, man, mm-hmm. that hit me. Upside my head, man. I, I, I'm like, wow. You know, and these rascals had just passed me. They knew I was going to the Nines Firehouse. They could have stopped and given me a lift, but they just kept going. Mm-hmm. And so that had an impact on me right there. That really had an impact. And going back to the station, I'll fast forward real quick. When I was studying for a uh, uh, fire uh, captain, I'm at this station, and a white guy walks up next to me, and uh, uh, he says, uh, I'm getting a phone call. Uh, But anyway, uh, he walks up to me. I don't know what you're studying for. You're not going to make it. And Mm. he took one step forward, and he took one step forward. He farted. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I did everything I could to maintain my composure because there was going to be a hundred fire captain jobs available. I have all, all of the ISTA manuals uh, that they said we, 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 we had to read. And uh, I wasn't about to blow this opportunity because I had mm-hmm. pages to feed. All right. And right. a little bit further, I had also had a fight with my captain. And I said, boy, if I get in a fight with him, they're going to fire me, you know. But then mm-hmm. first, I kept my cool. You know, saying, and I end up uh, uh, doing very well on the written exam at that particular time. I didn't know anything about the assessment center, but I got promoted to fire captain off of that uh, 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 exam. Well, I now, guess you share. Go ahead. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, no, go right that ahead. was my first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my first. Uh, and, uh, as time went on, I, uh, I was assigned to a company that had extra personnel. So every third day I worked, I, I went southern. So one particular day, they sent me southern to three different firehouses in one day. 
I started off at 8 o'clock that morning, and I ended up back to my station that I was originally signed to at 8 o'clock that night, catching the bus. Wow. <laughs> this is at the engine party. We call it the fighting parties. I had uh, on one day, I had a uh, back in the Black Firefighters, the Firefighters Institute for Racial Equality, which was a black organization in St. Louis, which mm-hmm. still exists today, but uh, the young folks are kind of uh, sitting back doing nothing with the organization, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'll stop. Let me get rid of that on my phone here, my phone. And uh, this guy tells me, firefighters, says, well, you know, with all this demonstration going on, you know, fire had filed a lawsuit, stop the promotion for um, mm-hmm. captain. We didn't have any battalion chiefs back then. And uh, there were only three captains on the St. Louis Fire Department when I came on out of 120 uh, fire captains. And uh, he said, yeah, with all this this, uh, uh, marching and uh, filing lawsuits, somebody might get pushed off the roof. Mm. And I said, well, hell, I'm going to get you before you get me. He said, what? Well, okay. I'm going to get you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so he went and told the captain, you know, white captain, captain come back, Spike, did you, did you uh, tell uh, uh, Morris that you were going to push him off the roof? I said, yeah. I said, he said he's going to do me, so I'm going to get him before he do me. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? In the hood, if somebody That's threatens you, right. you better get there before they get you. Well, <laughs> so, go ahead. Well, the captain shook his head and walked away. Um, another case in the same firehouse, the guys in the kitchen, you know, they do a lot of hunting firefighters, do a lot of hunting. They were in the kitchen cleaning their rifles and pistols and stuff. I'm headed to the second floor, and I hear a click-click, and I turn around while I was on the step. There's a, this fire captain. You know, he's pointing a rifle at me. You know, we're in a triple house, so there's like three captains and a battalion chief and a hose wagon driver. It's located in this firehouse. And I hear this quick, quick, and he's got this rifle pointed at me like he's, you know, checking his sights, trying to adjust the sights on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, next day I told Bob Anderson, and Brother Muhammad, you know about Bob Anderson. We worked together. That's right. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was uh, uh, president of FIRE and uh, uh, a regional director here in St. Louis, president of Black That's Firefighters right. for 21 years, as a matter of fact. Him, my mm-hmm. dad, you know, and so I mm-hmm. told Bob about what. Happened. And so the next day, Bob came in with a side by side shotgun. Uh, I had a po ten shotgun, and <laughs> Bob had a few assault rifles. And we cleaning our stuff up in the kitchen. And this captain that had pointed his rifle stuck his head in the door, and I winked my eye at him, you know. And about uh, <laughs> another captain. Wait a minute. This other captain, Captain Butt, come in, and he looks, he said, well, when the revolution starts, I'm going to be on y'all's side. And about a week <laughs> after that, uh, <laughs> a week after that, uh, a, a memo came out, we can't bring no more weapons in the firehouse. <laughs> and there, mm-hmm, That's the mm-hmm. first many memos to come out because of uh, uh, what happened right around my circle, you know. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't bring mm-hmm. it to the firehouse. And... Uh, uh, fast forward to uh, uh, I had a fight with my captain. I was telling, uh, 
I was reading this book called The Chemistry of Fire. And he snatched us, you know, we had a library in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the uh, fire. And he snatched the book out of my hand and threw it back into the to the library and pulled out a, a manual on how to raise ladders. And he said, you should be reading this. You don't need to be reading that. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Next thing I know, he, uh, um, uh, I got companies come by the firehouse, and he tells me, uh, "Why well, I got company? He, you can't have any company on the apron of the firehouse. I told you this once." And I said, "Well, dogs are white. Families show up, and they all congregated on the front of the apron. And so mm-hmm. all of this was building in me, you know. And mm-hmm. so one morning I came in late. This is the second time I've been late that year, and he had two pieces of uh, uh, paper that I had signed. He called them a form five. And he took these forms. I got these two form five. I can have you suspended. And we're in of like about a three foot by ten foot area with lockers on both sides. And uh, I had about four uniforms in my hand. And I dropped the uniforms and I cold cocked it. Boom. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to get fired. I might as well break this job. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to get fired. I might as well break the chop. And uh, Bob Anderson ran, heard the commotion. You know, lockers sound like the 4th of July happening in St. Louis. The fire was, you know, it was so much noise. And uh, Bob ran, in, ran out the kitchen. He saw what was going on. And uh, Bob came in and separated, you know. And mm-hmm. the captain said, I'm going to have him suspended. And Bob said, well, y'all both was fighting. He can have you suspended. So then the captain tells me, well, you just go on upstairs, you know, change your clothes. You know, you could change your clothes uh, from one uniform to another back then. But lo and behold, this captain, uh, when I got promoted to captain, he got promoted to tag chief. And uh, when I got promoted to tag chief, Bob told me to go ask him if he wanted to be deputy chief. Okay? And Mm -hmm. deputy chief, three deputy chiefs in the city of St. Louis, one for each ship. And you were in charge of that entire ship. And uh, I went to him, and uh, he actually had congratulated me on my uh, being promoted to captain. And I asked him if he was still interested in being uh, a deputy chief. And he said, yeah. And so with the influence that uh, Fire had with the politics downtown, so becoming a deputy chief was a political, you know, he took an exam, but the exam was a smokescreen. So politics had a lot to do with it. And he ended up being... Uh, a deputy fire chief, and uh, this mm. is my one of my first uh, captains that I ever had. In my book, um, I talk about a number of uh, discriminations, especially with females across the country. Mm. And one that comes to mind is uh, at EDI. As a matter of fact, three years ago I was there, and uh, we did a workshop on uh, sexual harassment. And in this workshop, one of the females said, yeah, I had a problem. I'm from, she was from Detroit, Michigan. And she said that the fire captain asked her if the hair between her, la- her legs, the hair between her legs looked like the hair on her head. So she reported wow. this incident. Yeah. And the fire captain was demoted, but she sent her back to the station, she said, that he came out of that he used to work at before he made captain. 
and she mm-hmm. soon after received death threats. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brother Muhammad, you might remember her, Melvina Lay. She was from Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. 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 Her, yeah, executive development. Well, she was telling me that when she was in the fire academy, uh, they required her to, uh, to uh, along with one other firefighter, to raise a 35-foot ladder. And, you know, the minimum for raising a 35-foot ladder because of the length and, and the uh, weight of it, at a minimum, requires three firefighters, you know, at a minimum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Injuring, injuring, injuring her back. Okay. Mm-hmm. And three years ago, um, at one of the um, at ceremonies for the graduation at the Executive Development Institute, the young lady said she got fired. Uh, for uh, not being able to raise a 35-foot ladder with just one person. And she was off the East Coast. I don't, maybe you might, might know her name, but she ended up getting that job back. Uh, sister there, I was trying to find out from Stewart. I think it's Stewart, her name, but he didn't recall her name. But okay. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is off the United States. This is the same episode that's happening with two females, two different females. They only know one another. And it, I'm talking about 20 years separation, 20 years of war, so. these two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did some further investigation. I found out that they were peeing in some of the female uh, shampoo bottles. Hello? Wow. Yeah, talking yeah. about uncivilized. Right? right? You go ahead, Chief Jones. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Put wow. red pepper sheets, cutting off the speakers to their dorm, if they had a dorm, so they would miss a run. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, how horrible can you get, you know? Well, uh, yeah, evil-spirited, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And uh, one lady, they put a chicken in her, uh, in her uh, duffel bag. And this chicken spoiled, so when she went to it to open it up, guess what? You got maggots running out of it, along with the stench, you know. And uh, I know when I worked at the uh, 28th engine house, I know we had another brother that worked named uh, McPherson, Wallace McPherson. He was a captain, and they didn't like Wallace. And they peed in his boots, in his locker. They had another brother there. They put mice. He was afraid of mice. Believe it or not, he was a fire captain, but he was afraid of mice. Now, he ran in a burning building, but he was afraid of mice, and they put mice and dead mice in his boots, his turnout boots he was wearing to the fire building. And uh, I go on in my book with maybe about 60 episodes like this. Unbelievable. And all anybody, any of your listeners have to do is Google New York. Google L.A., Google Houston, Texas, Google Chicago, Illinois, Google every major firehouse uh, 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 fire department in the United States, and you'll see that these acts are going on today. You know, Kansas City, this guy, he's in the academy. He takes a rope and puts it around another cadet's a black cadet's neck and pulls it. You got them putting dog food in folks' food. You know what I used to have Mm -hmm. to do in the firehouse? Keep my chili, leave it in my car. You understand? 
Right. And then right. when it unfolded, I'd go out to eat. I mean, I mean, sometimes I was, I couldn't, I, I, there was no trust to leave, put your food in the refrigerator, you know, because, you know. That's uh, right. Man, it, it was something that my first five years at the parties was horrible. But it was a learning experience because I said I would never treat nobody the way I was treated or the way they treated the black firefighters. And if there was something I could do about it, I'm going to do something about it. And the only way I can do something about it is to get some rank, you understand, move right. on up the chain and help somebody, you know, and, and let people know this is not going to be happening under my watch. It's oh, yeah, that's right. Illegal, and it's disruptive to the workplace. And it's not just going to happen, you know. I had uh, a young lady at one of the stations. I go by and, and I asked her how I was going. No, oh, I'm, I'm doing real nice, Chief. And uh, some two brothers stepped up. No, Chief, she ain't doing all right. Um, they throwing out our food in the refrigerator. They're making them, making them wash the dishes and uh, cut the grass. Well, they, they're like pedals to metal from the time they get there to the time they go home. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's no break. Sure. You know, they're on emergency, much so than the, than the fire department. I mean, we have, we've picked up since we've uh, uh, coupled with the paramedic and the EMS service, but the paramedic, I mean, they run all day and all night. And well, then, you know, Brother Chief when, Jones, I don't mean to cut you, but I do because it's a good segue for Brother Rudolph, who spent 30 years in EMS. He's still in EMS. So he still got mm-hmm. pedal to the metal, you know, so he knows. But for our listening <laughs> yeah. audience, we're listening to Brother Chief William Spike Jones, retired out of St. Louis Fire Department, who's giving uh, his experience of what he wrote in his recently released book, The Fire Within. Certainly feel free to press one on your phone pad and come into the studio to ask our dear brother any questions that he might have comments or concerns. So Brother Rudolph, at this time, brother, if you you, you, you know Brother Chief Jones can go now. You heard him. He he's got a, a plethora a plethora of experience and uh I almost hated to cut him off, but when he said EMS no, but, I didn't know that no, he knew cool. your background. Go ahead, Brother Rudolph. It, 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 it's cool no, because I'm listening to him and I'm thinking about my father. Uh may Allah be pleased with him. Um, retired captain of the FDNY Bureau of EMS, uh, Commander uh, Captain James Rocky Robinson, and I'm hearing the stories that Jones is telling, and I remember some of these same stories from my father. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he took, who, who came into the, it wasn't even called the EMS then, it was called. EMS was owned by the Department of Hospitals back then in New York City. And um, your attendants that worked on the ambulances were the blacks and Hispanics that worked on the wards in the hospital that they they would just put them on the ambulance and have them work out of the ambulance to keep them out of the hospital. And they would do all, all of this kind of stuff to them as well. My father took the test uh, for lieutenant and passed it. They wouldn't promote him. He ended up having to go to the Human Rights Commission and go to court before they would 
honor his test scores and promote him to uh, lieutenant. And so he won that lawsuit. So, of course, he's blackballed within the, uh, uh, the department. He's training people that are just coming into the job, that he'll train them this week, and in two months or so, they'll be his supervisor. Because back then, you know, again, ambulance attendance, he was the first school graduated uh, in the service. Uh, welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Uh, how may we be of service to you? And thank you for calling in. Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, Brother Rudolph, Mr. President, Brother Mohammed, Dwayne Godwell, Deputy Fire Chief, retired Fairfax County Fire Rescue Department. Thank you for letting me Peace and blessings, okay. Chief Godwell. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome, Chief. <laughs> All right. Well, I hear that boisterous laughter in the background, so I'm assuming that that is Chief Spike Jones. All right, Chief, brother, I'm here. Yes, sir. Uh, sir, uh, first and foremost, uh, before I get started, uh, I came across you and met you at EDI in 1995. I was part of that Fairfax contingency. But before I okay. go into that, I think that it's also proper for me to pay homage to our recently deceased brother, Chief Herschel Clady. Yes, sir. Because it was right. it was Chief Herschel Clady that came to an equity conference that we had in, in the state of Virginia in nineteen ninety four that told me and my colleagues that if we wanted to elevate and get see advancement in this industry slash profession, that we needed to attend EDI because we were going to be trained and prepared for the future to be the future leaders of this, of this department, of this uh, profession. So I just want to say that that's how I encountered you and the remaining, the other members of the staff that helped me to get to where I was. Uh, you mentioned Addington Stewart, uh, my classmate, past president yeah. of the uh, Through your training experience, uh, sharing your challenges and issues, and preparing us for the future. In 1995 through 1999, you all exposed us to assessment center processes, uh, putting together budgets, putting together programs, how to develop our people, how to do performance improvement programs, all of those things. Uh, that is what is uh, the benefit that I received from your guidance and direction. And just as a uh, uh, another point, my classmates, Deborah Pryor, Fire Chief, Berkeley, oh. California, Teresa mm -hmm. Reed, Fire Chief, Oakland, California, mm -hmm. before me, uh, Chief Rosemary Cloud, the first yeah. African-American woman Fire Chief in the history of this country, Deborah Pryor was the second. These are the products of you all's experience, guidance, and direction to help us uh, in this industry. And one other chief I'd like to mention is uh, Chief Teresa Everett. She was an instructor on the staff. She has been a friend, a colleague, a mentor, and a role model for 25, 30 years. 
and I just want to say congratulations on your book. I'm looking forward to reading it because it is important that we continue to document our experiences in this industry. That's um, right. Because as you mentioned, things that you have experienced back in 1970, people are still experiencing in 2023. We're talking about 50 years. And unfortunately, we are in a confrontational environment in this country that they believe that women and people of color do not belong in this industry. And I've always known and and made it a point to uh, share with others the reason why people didn't want us to elevate in rank and in positions to become authorities in the organization because they feared that we would do the same thing to them that they did to us. You're absolutely correct, brother. And you mentioned yeah. Deborah Pryor. I'm, I'm so proud of her. One of the things that she did while she was in uh, the chief of, uh, of Berkeley, was it Berkeley? Yeah. Oakland? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. Berkeley. Berkeley. She got $9 million. She got a $9 million uh, uh, bond issue passed so they could buy a pump. Uh, water pump, huh. uh, go basal when they had fires out there. Wow. Nine million dollars. Beautiful. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hold on, brother. You, I hear, I hear a you, siren, an air horn. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Uh, how may we serve you? Please state your name, where you're calling from. This is Brother Harold. I want to give out the greetings of Assalamu alaikum to the family on air and peace and blessings to everybody else. Well, um, long, brother Harold. I want well, to, and a happy Savior Day. Peace and blessings. <laughs> I wanted to ask a chief a question because in listening yes. to his experiences that he went through, you know, as he graduated through in rank, it reminded me of listening to some of the stories that my mother's cousin, so that would be my second cousin, Bernard, went through when he became a police chief in Long Island. He had taken a test, passed, got the rank, but never had a place to work out of. So he got Mm. rank, he got paid, but no authority. What drove you? Um, Brother Chief, to keep going. I had a thing. I said, well, my job and my job in in life was to live well and to live well for a long time and to help somebody else do the same. Did you hear me? Yes, sir, I did. And And I asked that question because my brother, my cousin Bernard said what drove him to keep going through was his contempt for the people who were trying to block them. And motivation means a lot. It was anger that pushed him. It was a goal and a purpose that pushed you. And I want to thank you for that, because that makes a difference on the effectiveness of the job that you do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I didn't have any, any hatred. I don't have a right. I don't have a bitter taste in my mouth right now. The fire department has been beautiful to me. I've mm-hmm. uh, raised six kids. 
five of them have degrees and one have their own business, they are out of my refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. That's a good one. You know, Chief, Chief only another father would understand that, that language. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Only a parent would know. <laughs> right. Who? Brother Hal, thank I, you for calling me. The, the hinges on my refrigerator. But they ought to give them a, a, a standing ovation, man. Every 10 minutes they was in there, I say, nothing in there. Ain't no ice cream in there. I called them popsicle games. They must have ate up 100,000 popsicle ice cream. Oh, Lord. Boy, that conversation oh, sounds so familiar. Yes, it does. Brother Harold, thank you for calling in. But I wanted. I think I had Brother Chief Dodwell wanting to ask a question. You still on, Chief Dodwell? Yes, sir, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Loud and clear. Okay. The the only thing I was it wasn't a question. It was just a statement that say that, uh, and I was cut off before, so I'm not sure if we went through. But as uh, Chief has expressed about moving up through the ranks and getting to those positions of power and authority, one of the reasons that I've always believed is that they did not want us to be there for a multitude of reasons. But the primary reason is that they always there was always this deep down belief that we would treat them the way that they treated us. Yes, sir. I know there is a guilt factor. That's that guilt factor. But also, yes, I know Brother Chief Jones. Uh, you know, one of your peers, your mentors, Brother Chief Sherman. George used to always talk about the money factor and having, yes. as you say, the ability to make decisions over the money that was coming in the fire service and how much a firefighter and once you got promoted you could make in your career. And you just talked about Chief Deborah Pryor uh, floating that mm-hmm. bond, getting that bond. That's 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 Joe Ray me. They didn't want us to have access to that either. What's your point? What's your what's your thoughts on that, uh, Chief Spike? Uh, let's look at uh, uh, on uh, in St. Louis, for example. You mentioned Chief George, and Chief George used to say this. He says uh, the budget for the fire department is mm-hmm. what a hundred million dollars. Says a hundred million dollars. The city of St. Louis is fifty percent black. Chief George, I believe, felt that fifty percent of this $100 million to come to North St. Louis, which was primarily black. And mm-hmm. that we needed more black firefighters. We need more firefighters of rank to get that money to bring back to North St. Louis rather than it going just predominantly to South St. Louis. So, yeah, money was a factor, and, and, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, that was a motivation factor for me, too, you know, as I mentioned just earlier to live well and to live well as long as I can, but to help other people do the same. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, uh, you yes, take, sir. Uh, Bert Washington out in uh, uh, mm. Las Vegas. Bert did yes. something incredible when he was in Clark County. Bert was assistant chief of Las Vegas. He went on to be the chief of Clark County. Then he went on to be the chief in uh, uh, San Bernardino now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pasadena, right. What Burke mm-hmm. did before he left Clark County, Burke was the one who purchased the active shooting equipment that they used 
uh, to go in and get those people out when they hit that guy that was shooting everybody out in Las Vegas. 58 people died. He shot about 300 people. Bert was the one that, that purchased that equipment. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the chief that was uh, up under him or he had opposition with saying he was wasting taxpayers' money, the way I understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This came into play. This came into play. You understand? And that brother there is an instructor of the EDI, Executive Development Institute, in That's New Orleans. Right. And uh, he's a graduate also. And mm-hmm. uh, he's along with two other brothers. I call them the gangsters from Las Vegas. I hope. I hope. What they did was gangsters. Dave Washington. I mean, That's right. Is, I see the Las Vegas. And Dave had him and Eugene. Eugene Campbell, Eugene promoted <laughs> mm-hmm. both of them, the assistant chief, and Eugene ended up being a, a chief of a uh, um, he was assistant chief uh, in uh, Dallas, and he went right. on to be the fire chief, Missouri City, Texas, and then mm-hmm. there he saved them a whole lot of money when he got in. He showed them how to deal with the budget, which is one of the classes that's given at EDI. Mm-hmm. You understand? That's right. Yes, sir. Uh, Dave Washington, what did he do? He had before he left there, he had six fire stations built and a hundred additional firefighters added onto the department. All three Beautiful. of these brothers were instructors and graduates of EDI. I am so proud of them. Along with Deborah Pye and Teresa and uh, I can't think of all the females that have graduated from there and made rank and contributed something to the fire services and the community in this United States of America. I can I don't know what to say. The doc called him in my book, The Godfather. He created oh, yeah. He started. That's right. You understand? Mm-hmm. And uh, the National Fire Academy tried to steal our program. You remember that? That's program? right. That's they right. They wanted to buy our, they steal it by buying the program. Well, we'll give you transportation. We'll pay for their tuition. But when that happens, what happens? They gain control. And the doctor mm-hmm. said, no way. No way. Yes, sir. No way. That's right. He stood his ground. He ready to fight. I'm glad you said mm-hmm. it first, Chief Spike. Um, Brother Rudolph, as you can tell, you know, whether you punching your colleague in the face or you pointing, cleaning your gun at the kitchen table, these brothers are American gangsters like in a Denzel Washington <laughs> kind of way. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. But Chief said it first. I was glad. I was going to say it. But, yeah, Chief Godwell, all of them, they, nobody was giving us nothing. You had to fight, brother. And, uh, you know, brother, brother Chief Jones. You know, and um, thank you, brother Harold, for calling in, and brother Chief Dodwell. You can stay with You're us. You're welcome. But um, as, as as I listen to you, you know, shout out Dr. Holmes and Herschel Clady and Bob Anderson, and of course, if you say Bob Anderson, you got to say Joe Hughes before him. Uh, who 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 were your influences? Your biggest influences before? you got on the fire department, because I'm sure that helped you, you know, like you talked about your childhood memories. I I, I had a family that everybody did something, you know. Everybody Mm -hmm. could do something. I had had an uncle who, he kept the tanks rolling in Europe during World War II. He had a patent Mm -hmm. for non-ferrous metal. He graduated from Tuskegee Institute. They made the ball bearings out of this metal that he had worked with the so that the tanks continue to roll. I had an auntie who who spoke Japanese fluently. You know, I had another aunt 
and stay on real estate throughout St. Louis. I had a mother who worked on an Apache helicopter for the federal government. I had a father who could pick the motor and the transmission out of the car and put it back in the same day. And it went on in my family. You know, everybody could do something. And little old me, you know, I didn't have no degree. And I'm saying, shit, I got to do something. I'm going to keep up with everybody in my family, you know. <laughs> I need to do something. I need to do something. Oh, you know. yep. I looked in the newspaper, yep. and they had this ad in the paper about big as my little finger, firefighter, St. Louis, Missouri, $7,000 a year. I got to get this job. I got to get this job. And I had just come back from playing basketball over in England, France, England, and Belgium. And I was in pretty good physical shape. And lo and behold, that helped me on the physical portion of the exam. And then on the written, I must have did pretty well because out of seven or 800 people that took the exam, I think I was in the 20s. Although when they hired me, they had me in a class where I was like 150, 170. And I began to wonder what happened. Why, how did I end up in this class? I should have been in a class before this. And mm-hmm. so I called the personnel department and I asked them. And the guy says, he says, well, and I talked to this guy earlier. And he said, we, we we didn't have your address, and so we couldn't send you any correspondence. Yeah, right. And I had called, asked me, was I still interested in the job? And I'm saying, wait a minute, he's lying because my telephone mm-hmm. number was on the application <laughs> with my address. <laughs> right. <laughs> so really, that was my first sign of discrimination, if you will. You understand? Yes, sir. You got my telephone number. My telephone number was on that application. You understand? That application was submitted to you all, and you say you don't have it. Now, how you get my telephone number? You know, they didn't have the kind of phones we got now, back then, mm-hmm. when I uh, mm-hmm. fight something. So my family was a motivation, along with my kids and grandkids. And like I said, everybody's got a story. And if you don't tell it, if you don't tell it, uh, you know, the only way they knew that George Washington, they say chop down a cherry tree, somebody wrote it down. Right, 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 right. Imagine that. Well, look, I'm going to let Brother Rudolph ask any questions, but since you gave props to your family, I I, I have to say give a shout-out to your brother, Brother Chief Joe Jones, who passed away a few years ago. May God be pleased with him. Another beautiful human being. Another beautiful human being. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, Joe Rudolph. Oh, the international, didn't he? Yeah, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 mm-hmm. no question. No question. Just a statement, you know, that, you know, and that's our history as a people and our sojourn in this country is, you know, role models always came from within the family, not without back then. You, you, you know, it was always an uncle, a grandfather, or somebody, an aunt. Uh, somebody in the family that the little ones looked up to because they were making moves in the society, but they were and they were accessible to them. They were right there, so they could always impart that knowledge that was necessary and inspiration to keep the younger ones uh, moving and to give them the uh, 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 a perspective of what they could be if they just put their nose to the grind and just work and just work. It's only now in this dispensation of time we don't have anymore but it's to be 
um, the skillful or way that they've gone about almost dismantling our families so that we're not present in the families. So, you know, I don't want to speak into that. Um, but no, I'll continue. Go ahead, go ahead, Brother Chief. Go ahead, continue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, I don't have a bit of taste. I got into the biggest fight in my life uh, defending of uh, a uh, white firefighter in St. Louis. But this firefighter, mm. uh, in, a, in a fire, that killed in the fire. Mm. But this particular firefighter who uh, I was defending, he had been late. Uh, he worked in front of me for a couple of years. And as a captain, we had to rotate every three months or every four months. And the guidelines said that if I'm going to rate somebody, uh, I need to speak to his previous supervisor. So I went to this guy who used to be my supervisor, and I asked him, I said, look, I got this rating here. What do you think uh, so-and-so should get in attendance? Uh, he was late here in January, but it's December now. He hasn't been late or absent since then. He says he needs must improve. And I said, well, he has improved. Well, no, he must improve. If you don't give him must improve, I'm going to do something about it. I'm like, what? I'm going to do something about it. So needless to say, I gave him a, uh, I gave him a, uh, uh, meet standards. Next thing I know, uh, <laughs> this captain comes in and uh, he says, uh, he's my relief captain. They didn't clean the ladder. And uh, they left some dirty dishes back in the sink. I said, well, you were back there drinking coffee with them. Why don't you tell them to clean up the kitchen or clean up the coffee cup, you know. And I saw him clean the ladder. Well, put your hand here on the ladder and you'll see that there's some dirt on them. As he was saying that the chief uh, pulling into the fire station in his buggy and heard us arguing, and the chief jumps out of his car and says, what's the problem? I says, well, this guy don't tell me what to do. And she says, this guy got more time and more experience than you. You listen to what he has to say. And I said, chief, I said, he don't tell me what to do. You understand? Mm -hmm. If he got a problem with me, he brings it to you, and then you tell me. I said, but he's not mm-hmm. going to tell me what to do. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and I noticed that uh, this chief was documenting uh, everything I was doing or not doing in a little log he had in his room. When he'd leave, I'd go in his room and uh, look in the log to see what he put down. Well, in red ink, he put down, told Chief Jones to tell the men to put the mask in the bracket. And I saw he had had that in his book twice. So what did I do? I had a log, too, because I told the men mm-hmm. exactly what the chief had told me. So I write in there, uh, uh, told the men to put the, their mask in the bracket. Told the men to put the mask in the bracket twice. And mm-hmm. so uh, he came back to me a third time. You know, the guys left the mask out the bracket so they could put it on quicker when they got on the apparatus to get out the door. And I said, well, chief, I told him what you said. And... Uh, uh, you know, because shit rolls downhill. Y'all excuse my French. Right. But this is exactly what I told you. Well, okay. He's talking about disciplined white firefighters. <laughs> you okay? And he stopped putting little tidbits in his book about me. 
<laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> sure he did. <laughs> Beautiful. But you, mm-hmm. excuse me, yes, interesting. What's, what's interesting is that you mentioned about documentation and how uh, mm-hmm. important documentation was in, in, in documenting our actions or inactions, but in today's environment, documentation holds no weight or no water. Uh, especially when you're oh, yeah. trying to put put people into these uh, work improvement programs or these performance improvement programs, and women and people of color as officers are doing the right thing, following procedures, and doing the documentation, it's never enough, it's never correct, and it's not the right thing to do. Well, I, I, I kind of have to disagree with you there. They got a guy, we got a chief out here on the, on the West Coast called Bob Demick. Yes, sir. I'll let you finish your point. Mm -hmm. Bob has more female firefighters than anybody in the country when he was the chief. Right now, I think they got about two female firefighters. They had more Asian fire color while Bob was the fire chief there. And the way he did it was documentation. He did it with statistics. Dr. Holmes came up with a model for the international use 35, 40 years ago that they never mm-hmm. did pick up for documentation in different uh, departments. They documented black, white, male, female that were on the department. And Addington mm-hmm. Stewart, who was president of the international, he was, president, he was trying to get chapters across the country to send him this documentation because he had lawyers set up to file mm-hmm. a lawsuit pro bono if they had this information. And he couldn't get this documentation. I think doctors, right. for some reason, the chapter presidents were were lazy or afraid or I don't know what, but he could not get this documentation. The chiefs, whoever the chiefs were, the black chiefs were afraid it might expose their department. I don't know what happened, but they, he couldn't get the information even if he had the attorney. You understand? That would do the lawsuit free of charge. Mm-hmm. Okay, chief. Okay, but for clarification, I think, and, and I agree with what you're saying, but I was speaking in terms of documentation when it comes to uh, a performance and disciplinary action. You mentioned how they were keeping logs and records and things along that line so that they can use that in the future to either discipline you or, you know, up to termination or whatever else. And I'm saying in today's environment, what is happening is, People are still doing documentation, but it doesn't. It, 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 it's not being used properly or effectively to do the things to get outcomes that are required and or necessary. That's what I was uh, inferring to. Yeah. If you felt as though you were discriminated, keep your daily log in the firehouse. I felt as though I was discriminated this morning. Maybe you don't know why, yes. but write it down anyway. Yes. That's right. No, keep Yes. But we'll come come out yes, we, got we got him coming in, Chief Spike. Let's see who this is. Welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Please state your name. How may we serve you? Welcome. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings, everybody. This is Robert Pearson. Blessings. Everybody, ahead, brother, brother. everybody knows me as Bobby from uh, Washington, D.C., retired deputy fire chief. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, come and, and go. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I put 30 years in, so 
Um, but I wanted to make a comment. Uh, one, I wanted to thank uh, past president, Brother Muhammad. I want to thank yes, you, Mike Jones, because uh, you, you were one of the main instructors. And, you know, during the EDI, having gone through that process and learning how to accredit a department was the most beneficial thing um, that happened to me with EDI because it gave me a better way of understanding how to look at my department to make the moves and make the changes. Um, but my comment, I wanted to kind of go back to where the statement was made that uh, in every family somebody had a role model. You know, I'm, I'm one of those that was unlucky enough to uh, have that role model. So I was looking at uh, the Chief Jones's, uh, President Muhammad, as I'm coming up, one, to learn how to present myself, uh, but gain the information. So I just wanted to thank you all uh, for taking the time because uh, it's not just about the compensation, but it's about um, the results of what you all have produced across this nation. So thank you. That's right. Thank you, brother. I just, I just got paid, Muhammad. You know. That's right. Uh, Staying it forward. That's right. EDI. We didn't. We do this. We volunteered our time. I took my vacation time, my comp time to go to EDI. Any other training I did for people across the country, I didn't ask for anything but a chicken sandwich, a bowl of soup, and the airfare, and a roof over my head. And uh, if they decide they want to go, <laughs> yeah, sure, uh, right. Beautiful. But, uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I just got paid. Yes, and sir. let me say this, because it's, uh-huh. it's no accident that Brother Rudolph is on and Brother Harold was on. They don't know Brother Retired Chief Bobby Pearson, but they do know that they appointed me, uh, Brother, Brother uh, Chief Spike, as the incident commander over the 10, 10, 15, the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March on the oh, yeah. mall in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. But That's it was right. Chief Robert, mm-hmm. It was Chief Robert Pearson who just spoke, who just called in, who gave me the intel of, you know, the update of the landscape, if you will, in D.C. and what to consider based on his studies, based on his experience as it related to uh, large crowds events and so both he and brother chief dodwell uh 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 just their information their uh, their ability like chief spike jones to give back has been priceless and i just wanted to say that thanks brother uh chief bobby pearson for calling in bro may god continue yeah. to bless you and uh go ahead brother spike no i was gonna say i i i, I did two workshops in dc a while back and uh, it was Romeo Spallings that brought me that. Just that. <laughs> Romeo Spallings. Yeah, okay, I talked to him just yesterday. Just he called me. Oh. You know, he talked about putting my book in some museum or something out that way. And I thanked him for it. You know. Beautiful. Yes, sir. I talked to him yesterday, as a matter of fact. And I told him. Yes, but, yes, but look sir. here, I got to say this again. I got to go back to Bob Demons. If. Mm-hmm. You're looking to eliminate a lot of harassment. If you're looking to eliminate a lot of negative things in the fire department, Google him. Look at his bio. Look what he set up. You understand? Know and, and, and look what he set up. That's important. He did some things. 
in, in my book, but he did some critical things, and you can Google what he did, and it's 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 beautiful. Because he That's was right. Doctor who was Doctor Home Wingman? Who was this? Who ride a shotgun for years? It was five right. minutes. Mm-hmm. But he got the he chief. got from the doctor. Just say. Beautiful. I heard a siren, an air horn. Welcome to Disaster mm-hmm. Awareness for Community Preparedness. How may we help you? And shout out to Chief Bob Demons forever, forever in a day. Go right ahead, family. From Detroit, all you brothers, nothing but respect, admiration. Retired from Detroit mm-hmm. Fire Department, Emergency Medical Services after 28 years. Mm-hmm. And I hope I don't turn this dark, but I want to respectfully ask you brothers, what can we do? And we cannot ignore that there were two African-Americans on the scene of Tyree Nichols. We cannot ignore Ah. the fact that where have we gone wrong? And especially, we had our own. It was called Malice Green in the 80s. And it was a black African-American, whatever you want to be descriptive of, who stood on the stand as an EMS technician and testified against Budson and Nevers. I'm not going to give his name up. And they were convicted. And on the streets, they were known as Starsky and Huss. So you know the streets had cred on them already. And we thought, hell, they did not show, police did not show up on shooting. Police did not show up on stabbings because of retribution for this brother standing strong in the midst of that. And what I want to ask, is where do we go with these young people instead of going along to get along, to stand strong and respect our people? And I'm respecting that because all I hear is nothing but education, intelligence, and excellence. What can we do? Oh, Great man. question, Brother uh, Paul. Uh, all right, all right. But, but Yusuf, let, let me just say this real quick before, before, the, uh, before the experts say something. My father... Uh, may Allah be pleased with him, used to always say, you know, they're always talking about this generation is lost. This generation is lost. Well, who lost them? We did. So the answer to that <laughs> is sharing this information that they don't even know of to understand how important they are and what a rich history and legacy they come from. But, again, if you don't know your history, then you can't be proud of it. So you're not going to respect anybody else. We must document, and not just document it, we must get our story out there so these young brothers and sisters can walk around with their shoulders back and their chests out feeling proud of the accomplishments that they come from because in spite of everything that was done to stop us. They don't know, and they need to know. Uh, but uh, uh, Chief Jones, you can go ahead. I just wanted to get that out there. Yes, sir. You know, you're absolutely right. Since you're missing those parts of the body, you know, you can't give nobody no backbone. They got to be born with it. They got to be born with, and uh, what happened down there in Tennessee, I, I, I can't, I don't know, I don't have the facts of what happened, but, you know, only from the news media. But if you look at those police officers, those guys have been involved with a lot of stuff down there. 
that we probably don't even know nothing about. someone else the other day uh, pertaining to this incident. And one of the things that I would have to say was part of this, number one, we know what the culture is in the law enforcement community. But for me, as a public servant person, most of our departments around the country have a hostile work environment policy procedure or practice. The lack of supervision by that law enforcement uh, 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 contingency not having anyone there to give any clear direction on what to do. This is, again, why we use NIMS, Unified Command, because you had three agencies that were there. You had the police department, the fire department, and the sheriff's department. You had no one there to control the scene to give any direction, and you had all of those people that are at the uh, uh, service-level delivery trying to do things that were above and beyond their realm of responsibility and or training. Hmm. And just as an FYI, Brother Muhammad, uh, you did the, uh, ten, the, you mentioned the march. Uh, I was the uh, aide to the incident commander for the Million Man March. Um, Battalion Chief Eric Walker was the incident commander for the Million Man March. Beautiful, beautiful. That's history. That's black history. Yo. That's Thank it. you. Right. Brother, See, brother, and that's I, what I'm talking about. Um, yes, sir, Brother Yusuf, and like that's to... exactly what I'm talking about. In positions where they have done something that nobody else has done, but who knows it? Because right. our story is not being told because we're not telling it, or we don't have the avenues available to us to tell the story, what we do, but um, we have to get this information out there. And with this being Black History Month, okay, great. Then why not let's use this as a proper – I love this segment today. I love it because what's coming out of it is, again, the how black excellence will defeat and conquer – white 
uh, of supremacy because black well, excellence, it. all you have to do is do it. You don't have to say nothing. Just do it. And there's nothing they can do to stop you. Sound like the next show. If I may, Brother Rudolph, Brother, um, you just should. do it. Well, hold on, Brother Hal, for a second. I think I heard Brother Chief Pearson. Was that your voice, Brother? And then we'll bring Brother Hal yes. in. Yes. Go right ahead, Brother Chief uh, Pearson. Then you add in, Brother Hal. I just wanted to add to this conversation. It's funny uh, that this question has arised because what I'm about to regurgitate is something that Romeo Spalding just said yesterday at a meeting. And the reason why we're not getting, uh, one of the reasons why we're not getting this information out is because of our loss of the definition of community. Um, mm-hmm. And we, I couldn't hear we, uh, the loss, yes, so we have to get back to to our our ancestors, and our ancestors used the whole community to raise our kids to to promote stuff, and we have to understand because they have it so separated now that we got to get back to one being a community so that we can fight these issues. So I just wanted to inject that information because uh, that that was really profound, and I didn't really fully understand it because. Uh, until he said it, I didn't realize how separate we are now. Well, yes, sir. my brothers, I just put it out there. That's all I did. I agree with all of you, but we need to talk about that because we have brothers and sisters out there responding, and we got to lift them up. We can't have that be lifted down. Sometimes all of you know y'all were strong. Can't take that away. You did. We did what was unnatural, go towards what we run away from. And we got to hand that torch. That's all I was saying. No, great question, Brother Paul. Thank you for calling in, Brother. And, you know, one of the things, although I didn't hear the whole funeral service of our dear brother Tyree Nichols, one of the things I heard Reverend Sharpton say was that what was most painful to him was that he spent most of his life trying to put young brothers and sisters in position to be recruited to these professions. And the fact that, you know, what happened, happened, that, 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 that caused pain. So thank you for your question. I know brother Harold, you had a question and then we want to bring brother chief Jones back in as well. Go ahead, brother Harold. Thank you, brother Paul. Thank you. Um, Thank you, brother. You my point of reference is this. And and I don't know if any of you brothers are familiar with um, retired captain from the D.C. Fire Department, Wallace Storm. Um, he passed some years ago, right after the Millionaire March. But I'm friends with some of his relatives. And in speaking about that anniversary of the Millionaire March we were at, he said, you guys, he said, man, well, Harold, y'all, y'all were so well organized. And I don't remember the brother who's on the line from D.C., that's the chief. He was the incident commander there for the fire department at that time. What you all did in terms of providing a, a uh, command center for us to work out of, the 
preemptive information that you all shared with Brother Yusuf that he was then able to give to me. My responsibility there was logistics. People and resources had to be where things needed to be in order for things to run smooth. What you all gave us made it so easy for us to do our work. And all of us doing these kind of things on that larger stage for the first time, you made us look like we were geniuses. You made us look like we were the most spectacular people in the world. And this man thanked me for that, but it wasn't me. It was you all who did that by giving me what I needed to do my job, giving Brother Yusuf what he needed to do his job to relay information to the rest of us, those radios and the command center, and being able to move things around in that vast of crowd you you did us a service that no one could ever thank you enough for. And I want to tell you, thank you myself personally. That's right. I've never done anything like that before on that larger stage. That is a humongous thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Brother Hal. Brother Chief, we are entering into Chief Jones. We got so many chiefs on the line. And what's so beautiful about these men, I must say, in my humble opinion, is their humility. Even though yes, they uh, right. have yep. been blessed to to uh, acquire the highest ranks in the fire service profession, as Brother Chief Jones said, uh, uh, he just got paid, you know, because of he's paid it forward, not only what he's experienced, in the fire service, but in writing this book, The Fire Within, an expose of the lives of black firefighters in America that illustrates both the trials, the tribulations that are regularly faced in the fire service. I mean, I'm just like you, Brother Hal, eternally grateful to know these men and some of them, their families, and just to know how humble they are and know some of their mentors, their, their their role models on whose shoulders we all stand and on whose wings we fly. So in this last half hour, I want to pose this question, Brother Chief Jones. You know, uh, in one sense, uh, Brother Paul brought up that next generation. You talked about how FIRE, which is an acronym for uh, Firefighters Institute for Racial Equality, that local IABPFF organization there in St. Louis is not today what it was when you came in. Uh, what 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 can we do? I mean, of course, we, we, we're engaged in the Dr. Holmes Executive Development Institute, but is there anything else that you see we might consider doing to get this future generation or this current and future generation, uh, the understanding of of uh, why they should be in position that they are. And I'll just fall back and the floor is yours, Brother Chief Spike. I'd be sitting on top of the world. I don't know. I'm gonna... <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, we've been trying. We have a retirees group here. It's called Firefighters. Institute for Racial Equality retirees, and you'll see that in the book. And what we've done, we just keep doing what we do. You know, we can't control young folks, 
they put us out of our building now. I mean, I mean, we had a building. We took this. It was a shell of a building. We had uh, a trade school to come over, put in electricity, put in the sewer, you know, from the outside. Stu and mm-hmm. Stanley Johnson put the roof, and Bob Anderson put the roof on the place. You understand? We ended up having uh, had Claudia Stevenson. I don't know if you know her. But she and put pictures on the wall and carpet up under the feet. We had a steam room. We had a, a sauna. Uh, steam room, sauna, weight room. We had a, a banquet hall where we had dances and everything. And people from the community could come in, you understand, and have mm-hmm. parties. They could have repasses. We did all of that at that building. And we come in one day and then change the locks on the door. We can't get in. Lord, the cold Lord, on Lord. the door. On the building. The uh, same I, people that, that we trained to get on the fire department, same people mm-hmm. we trained to get promoted on the fire department. I mean, it's like you. And you find a lock on your door to your house, and the kids, your kids, can put you out. That's how that, that's how it happened to us. YMCA. You understand? YMCA. That's where we meet at. And there's about a hundred. I'd like to. I'd like to interject on that as well. Mm-hmm. Brother Muhammad, I'd like to uh, interject. All right, let me get back to you, Chief Dow. Well, somebody just called in. Okay. Welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Please state your name and how may we serve you. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Muhammad. Well, Brother Muhammad. Uh, yes, sir. I was working with EMTs and the uh, logistic team during the Million Man March, and I remember the last day we had a meeting uh, about 700 to 500 doctors did show up and wanted to volunteer to work with us for that event as well. That's right. So so when you talk about the history of not being taught, it's because we don't control it yet. Well, well, first of all, thank you for calling in, Brother Salam. Always a pleasure to hear your voice and you yes, for all you've done, are doing, and will do by Allah's permission. Um, well, if we don't control it now, Brother Chief Spike, was somebody yes, holding you back from documenting your book? No. I, I, I realized right. a long time ago that whoever controlled the printed page controlled the thinking of the people of that age. I read that somewhere, and that made sense to me. Say that again. Say that again, brother. Yeah, he got to say that again. You know I'm a poet. That rhyme. Go ahead. Right. Say that again, right. too, please. Man, say that again. I, I read it somewhere. I heard it somewhere. But whoever controls the printed page controls the thinking of the people of that age. Mm. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You Can know. I get a witness? Mm. <laughs> Salam, we got to put our book together, Brother Salam. Brother Salam, we got to write down, document how many times they sent us to get the wheelchairs, brother, at the Savior's Day. Right. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And also all of those health stations that were there and how we had to stack them and uh, the things that was done, it hasn't been told. Well, nobody's going to yeah. tell that story but us. And the sad part about it is, in one instance, but the greatest benefit of it is to me, 
that's not anything any of us could put on our resume, but it is the most beneficial and satisfying work we have all done. That's right. That's right. I bear witness. I still have the ID card, Brother uh, Chief Pearson, that Brother Romeo Spaulding had printed up. The Washington, D.C. Fire Department EMS, along with the Ministry of Health of the Nation of Islam, collaboration. Like Brother Harry. I got said, mine around here somewhere. And I'm looking okay. right now in my office at the 101015 <laughs> Medical I EMS. I got to find that thing. Yeah, man, no one I'm will tell that history but us. So we, we, we have to start telling it, Brother Salam. Thank you, brother, for calling in. And uh, we'll see each other soon, as well as uh, Brother Chief Pearson. I'm coming to D.C. soon. I spoke with, uh, y'all got a powerhouse program. Brother Chief Spike, they got a program coming up with former President Romeo Spaulding, former President Ted Holmes, former Chief uh uh, what's brother's name? Ray Alfred. Ray Alfred. Ray Alfred. Yeah, yeah. And Sister yeah. Chief uh, Tiffany, I believe, coming up in a couple of weeks. So I just heard from President Wiggins. Lord willing, I, I I'll be there for that. That's that's powerful. But um, here we are, brothers and sisters, at six thirty-four p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we move into the last twenty minutes or so of this week's program of disaster awareness for community preparedness. Certainly, I can speak on behalf of Brother Rudolph, my co-host, our co-host, that this program has been, you know, as as one of the hip-hop artists would say, uh, uh, off, uh, off the chain, right? Uh, yes, uh, sir. That's right. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, right. yeah. So, so let, let, let us let uh, our dear brother, Brother Chief Spike Jones, William Spike Jones say anything that uh, in closing something we may have missed in our questioning uh, that you want to put out to the audience. And we were hoping that uh, Brother Chief, uh, uh, the chief from San Francisco, Bob Demons, would call in, but uh, maybe he couldn't get his grandson with the technology to bring him in. Well, go ahead, Chief Jones. The floor is yours, beloved. I, you know, I, I, man, I was looking for Bob to call in. He called me this morning. So how did I get in? And like you say, his grand. So I'm going to talk to my grandson see how I get in. I said, Bob, I, I don't even know how to get in. He started laughing. <laughs> so, anyway, anyway, you know, no, I just I reflect back on some of the people that uh, I'm extremely proud of that end up making offices and made a difference. And uh, one that comes to mind is uh, Charles Parent. Mm-hmm. Yes. Charles Parent was the chief of New Orleans during Katrina and its aftermath. Mm-hmm. And I read an article that, that the, the, the aldermen or the politicians about Charles, who saved uh, 18,000 uh, lives, you know, uh, mm-hmm. 10 to 18,000 lives during Katrina and the aftermath when it didn't have the, the, uh, companies to uh, uh, maintain all the fires they were having with all these uh, mold-infested buildings down there, That uh, how he handled it, like General Patton during the uh, mm-hmm. Beautiful. Uh, uh, war, you know, and they think mm-hmm. he, he did one job down there, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about him, you know, I mentioned Bob and what he did out of San Francisco, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, Brother up Yahweh, uh, John Austin, 
I wonder how he's That's doing. That's right. Is he? Mm-hmm. Is John he's doing in Hartford. Right up there? Yes. Okay. Great. He's in Hartford. New Haven, New Haven, Connecticut. I'm sorry, yeah, New Haven. I'm sorry, Richie Richie Freeman right. is in uh, Hartford. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, okay. But I, uh, I wouldn't care. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying. I, I just wanted to uh, when you talked about not being able to answer the question about what we're doing for the future, I just wanted to mm-hmm. interject something if I can. Uh, first and foremost, what I think that we need to understand, and, and Brother Rudolph mentioned, he says. We're always saying this generation, this generation, this generation. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I've come to find out in my 30-plus years of being associated with the fire service, we can't want for people what they don't want for themselves. We can provide them the resources. We can provide them the training. We can provide them the opportunities. We can give them all the things that they need. If they're not interested, there's nothing that we can do. You know, and, and all of us have been instructors, and if you remember the, the, the setup of that is preparation, presentation, application, and evaluation. And we've got to get our people, this generation and beyond, to the application process. You know, there are more concerns now about the work-life balance, uh, socializing and doing things along that line. And one of the other challenges is that as these company officers and uh, mid-level managers are making just as much money as fire chiefs and don't have the level of responsibility, they're going to feel okay with that. They don't want that, that. Some of them don't want that added pressure and responsibility. But at the end, we can't want for them what they don't want for themselves. All we can do is continue to provide them the resources and uh, so that they're capable to meet those challenges. Well, let, can, I, can I say this real quickly here? There's a decline yes, of black firefighters across the country now. The ones that we had no, back in, uh, gosh, I, I don't know what statistics, but there's a chart in my book, and I forgot how the chart went. But some kind of way I configured it, it figured if it kept going the way it was going, uh, by 2029 would be at 1% of the fire service. Now, what mm-hmm. they've done and what they've us on across the country is this weed, this marijuana. Most black mm-hmm. people that became middle class became middle class with government jobs. Now, since they're getting high off of marijuana, they don't want the job, and they can't come on the job because they're going to test positive for marijuana. So eventually, the ones that we have in there now, they're going to be gone, and ain't going to be none of us in there. That's my prediction. And it's by design. It's by design. Huh? It it didn't happen just haphazardly. This is a part of that age-old conspiracy. Come, let us deal wisely with them. Is this marijuana? Oh, no. uh -uh. It's going to really uh, help put a nail in the coffin in the numbers of black firefighters across this country. Mm-hmm. Between the between the marijuana and the law enforcement agencies getting them involved in law enforcement, uh, a negative involvement with law enforcement early on, even before they're out of school, so their record is already blemished, they already disqualified. This is by design. 
And, and but it's legal. Happened. It's legal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's medicine. It's medicine. Uh-huh. Uh, what's happening here in St. Louis? We got 13 assault pistols hijacking people. You understand? But guess what? They ain't saying it, but they have marijuana. Is it a treat? They don't understand what's going on. You know, the media don't know what's going on. Unfortunately. Yeah. They don't want to understand. And that is the unfortunate reality of it. You know, interestingly enough, Chief Spike, was that the apex of blacks in the fire service in America was 1995, the year of the Million Man March at 15%. And uh, it's less than 7% now, according to the statistics. I also want to, as a note, uh, just explain to our listening audience, you know, those of us who uh, are on the show today, many of us know what EDI is. And it was explained, but I'm going to re-explain it. EDI stands for Executive Development Institute, and uh, Dr. Carl Holmes, Romeo Spaulding, uh, pushed the fact that Dr. Carl Holmes' name should be attached to it, for he was the mastermind behind it. It was founded in 1991, so when you hear uh, us and the Chiefs talk about EDI, it's the Dr. Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute that takes place annually, uh, usually in the first week in the month of June on the beautiful campus of Dillard University in New Orleans, Louisiana. So just wanted to attach that to those who may not really know what EDI is uh, when we state that in in our presentation. Yeah, can I piggyback off you? Of course, sir, Uh, please. Well, we're Muslim on the line. Some of us are Muslim now. Piggyback and cheap, you might want to camel back. No, go ahead, brother. All right, can I, I don't want to say cow. I don't want to say cow, but uh, okay. Uh, the, the program is like Brother Muhammad is an instructor. He teaches, uh, what do you teach? Uh, the history of the minority history. firefighters? Right. Yeah, black firefighters, yes, sir. I specialize on assessment center and what is a valid promotional system. And we've got what? 50 other people that might come in and specialize on certain disciplines in the fire service. I know yes, uh, we got Myron down in Mobile, Alabama, but there's a total of what? How many courses do we run through? There's five different mods where uh, first year, second year, third year, fifth year, you graduate after your fifth year, and you have classes from 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 in the evening, and there's a break, and we have a night session from 7 to 9. And since night session, sometimes we have guest speakers. And since I've been there since 1992, there's been maybe 75 different speakers, and we've had the opportunity to have some dynamic speakers. Such That's as right. General, General that came in, and when he got off the helicopter, he told him to put them damn guns down. What was his name? He was a speaker one night. Uh, Russell Honore. General Russell Honore out of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Right. Then we had another speaker that spoke upon the Plus Nightclub, where they went in there and took all them people in uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Florida. We had him as a 
the fire chief there, and we had chief from Las Vegas to speak on the shooting. You understand? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Of, of the guy came, came out and shot all those people with the specialized uh, equipment he had from from the hotel, the Mandalay Bay, and which right. uh, yes, uh, Bert Washington yes, came up with, with that equipment so the EMS could go in there and save more lives. And we've had those three major speakers of major events, uh, uh, greatest events, uh, not greatest, but the, the major events in which people were uh, the catastrophe of people, we've had them at EDI. And it's That's really right. the experience. Uh, any firefighter out there, I would encourage them to go to EDI. Believe me, when I went, I mean, as an instructor, all the discrimination and things that I, the pressure I felt, uh, when we got down there, Sherman got down there, when Addison Stewart got there, we just, I mean, it was just so beautiful to see these brothers and sisters from across the country, the U.K., right. United Kingdom, the Caribbean, interact with mm-hmm. one another in the fire service and tell their stories. It, it's so beautiful. And the networking experience, uh, uh, it, it will stay with you for a lifetime. I can't say enough That's about right. you guys. May I make a beautiful. quick 30-second comment? Go right ahead, Brother Howe. I'm noticing that there is a completely total different mindset between black firefighters, professional firefighters, and black professional police officers. Black professional firefighters, you all are socially conscious and driven to provide service and product where black police officers, unfortunately, for the few that there are, are inundated with programming by a system where black firefighters have instituted their own training to enhance a system. That baffles me. Well, you know, Brother Howard, Go ahead, brother. I don't Keith. think anywhere in the country has been done what we've done at EDI with any profession. You have an executive I, development program for training and development where no such type of outside institution exists for black professional law enforcement. There are programs that, that, that the law enforcement community has. But the clear difference that from what we're trying to do as the fire service is we're trying to become part of the community. They're coming in looking at that they, everybody's a criminal. Everybody's the bad yeah. guy. You have to protect yourself against the bad guy. That's the, the, the clear difference in how, how their service delivery models. And that's one thing that, that troubles – that's right. And one thing that troubles me is that when you continue to see unarmed people – of color being shot and all these law enforcement officers may mention that they're in fear for their life. At a minimum, every police officer that walks this street has a minimum of four weapons on their body. Yep. Their service revolver, tasers, pepper spray, and baton, 
And if they carry a knife and if they carry a backup gun, you're talking about between four to six weapons that they're carrying because they see the community as a threat, not as someone to engage in, just like what we do. Their hands, their elbows, and their boots. It, it's the dichotomy of thought is so pronounced between a, for what a black professional firefighter is and what, and I'll put it this way, what they are. They've been programmed to be what they are, and they accept the programming readily and with relish. You all have done something completely and totally counterculture to the endemic psychology of what it is to be a police. It is absolutely outstandingly different. Yeah, the police to me, I mean, I, man, I envy them. I know a lot of police officers, and there's no way in the world I could be a police officer. I mean, I just had a pop-up come up on my phone. The second suspect arrested for shooting police officers. And, I mean, they got uh, one hell of a job responsibility. And, and I can I can see them being cynical when after looking at uh, some of the stuff that they go through and some of the stuff that they see. You know, I'm, I'm sort of like Richard Pryor on some of this. Remember Richard Pryor when he said that uh, he went to the penitentiary? And he asked the guy, he said, well, why did you kill everybody in the family? And the guy said, yeah, they, they were home. home. <laughs> right. They were home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they can fuck up a job. Another difference. I had the office officer. You understand? Yes, he knows how to treat Yes, sir. Another difference, too, is it's internal. It's innate. And as Brother said, you can't give a person a backbone. You can't give a person the heart, heart, the compassion, Mm -hmm. and the desire to be a servant. Firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics understand they are servants to the community. They are public servants. Law enforcement believes that they don't believe that they are servants to the community. Their mindset is, they control the community. Correct. Correct. And that's a big difference right there. So if you can't see yourself as a servant to someone, it's a certain way you're, you know, with EMS, and I look at it now, how EMS, and again, I started EMS back in the 80s. We never wore, and I worked Harlem. I worked East New York. I worked Bedside. I worked in Chicago. We never wore a bulletproof vest because the minute you put that vest on, it changes your mindset and it changes your walk. So now you don't approach people in the sense that you're coming to help them. You are an invincible mindset. So as EMTs and paramedics put these vests on, and they come walking down, the, especially in our communities, these long, dark hallways where they people are looking out the people, half of them are illiterate anywhere, and they can't read that it says paramedic or EMS. They just see white letters on a bulletproof vest, and automatically in their mind they think cop. 
So whatever aggression they have toward law enforcement, it comes out. And this is another reason why so many EMS workers are getting assaulted, because they're portraying themselves as something that they're not. We need mm-hmm. to know our role and stay in our role. And, again, we are public servants. We're servants to the community. And if we go back with that mindset, we can't, you know, it's not just firefighters, EMTs, paramedics, nurses, doctors, PAs. As long as you're talking about blacks, we're all at a de- deficit. And in a few years, we'll all be extinct from, you know, uh, uh, being out there because it's just not, the, the system is not designed to keep us there. So we have to go back to the mindset of separate but equal. And we have mm. to provide the arena and the avenues for our people to get into these jobs to service our people if we plan to survive. That's all I wanted to say, Brother uh, Yusuf and brothers. Well, here we are at 5.53, seven minutes left in this week's program, and we certainly want to thank all of you on the line who have not called in. However, we definitely want to thank Chief Dwayne Dodwell, Chief Bobby Pearson, uh, Brother Paul out of Detroit, uh, Brother Harold out of Detroit, um, and, and feel free, we only have a few minutes left, but we definitely want to give uh, our dear brother Chief William Spike Jones the opportunity to make any closing statements he would like. We pray, uh, uh, brother Spike, that you enjoy this program as much as we enjoyed you uh, blessing us with your expertise. And so the floor is yours, sir. Oh man, I want I want to thank you all. I mean, I've enjoyed this. I had this type of discussion amongst people, man, and. Uh, with the old guys that you say, Brother Joe Hughes, Bob Anderson, uh, 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 Baker, and uh, quite a few other brothers that is, that are no longer with us, man. That that uh, it, 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 it's been fantastic. But let me give a plug out to uh, a brother in Chicago. He has a book called Black Heroes of Fire. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with him? Wilcott? No. Yes, sir. I know the name. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And you find out that in his book there was a black guy that invented the sliding pole. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have any poles yes. in New York where they got the second floor. Well, he invented oh, yes, the sliding pole. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And yeah, I, that brother there he has a pretty good book out about uh, this engine company, Twenty One, and people just didn't know how they kept beating in other companies. You understand? Edifying. Because the brothers, instead of walking the steps, they slid the pole. That this brother had come well, up with, which was like four by wooden pole. What's his name they again, brother? Moved out. In the name of his book? Black Heroes of Fire. And his name is. I'm looking it up now. Wilcott. W E L C O T T. Black Heroes of Fire. And I think he put it out back in 2015. Also, they have what they call a Black Fire Brigade in Chicago. They have trained over 250 people off the street to be EMTs, and have put them in jobs. Yeah. They put them in 
house. You understand? That's right. To make them eligible for fire departments anywhere in the country. EMT well, is going to move on to be perhaps a member's job. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. To the brigade, Brother Wilcox, Black Heroes mm-hmm. in Fire. But how, how may our listening audience get your book, Brother Chief Jones? Well, uh, I have a link, but uh, I don't know everybody out there how to get that to them other than they can Google my name, William Spike Jones, and the fire within, and uh, the Post-Dispatch did an article on me with that link. And you can hit that link, and the link will take you to the publisher, and the publisher uh, can provide you with an e-book uh, or a paperback book. You have the option of, of, of the two. And the uh, book hey, uh, is selling for 55 and, and the e-book is 11 When's Jones, the signing party? Uh, <laughs> I didn't hear you. Chief Jones, we, we've sent that out uh, to um, the international members uh, from our correspondent okay. secretary. So the link has been placed out there. Uh, I can forward Thank that you. to you, Brother Muhammad, if you if, uh, you didn't get a copy of it. No, I have it. I just wanted to make sure our listening audience heard how to get it because everybody's not a part of the IBPFF, so... Thank you, uh, Brother Pearson, for all that you <laughs> all that you've done. Oh, Brother Howard, you already a, a, a honorable mentioned member. <laughs> so, Chief Jones, again on behalf of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, brother, we got to have you back. I know you you you're full of stories, and uh, you have paid it forward. Just the ones who called in today. Uh, uh, attest to your testimony That's right. That's in the right. fire service. And, and maybe next time we can get Chief Bob Demons on and you and he can build uh, with our listening audience of uh, all that you experienced in addition to. As soon as we hang up, Brother Chief Spike, you're going to say, oh, I forgot to say this. But we're going to have you back, Brother, <laughs> by God's permission. Yep. And uh, you thank, you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, sir. You got yeah. five demos on your program. Yeah, yeah, it'd be my pleasure. We, we'll get them on. Let's make that happen. And um, yeah, let's when work you talk on that about this Chicago, week, brother. Let's work on things. it this week. We can make it happen. No problem. Two mm-hmm. things about Chicago, uh, Brother Spike, that, that wasn't mentioned that came to my mind. One of the keynote speakers at EDI Brothers was Father Flager, a good friend of the Honorable yeah. Minister Louis Farrakhan. That's right. And we got to give a shout out to Commissioner Annette Nance Holt, sister, Commissioner of the Fire Department in Chicago. We got to lift right. her name up as well because That's she's right. also an instructor at the Dr. Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute. Well, uh, Brother Rudolph, well, well, do you well, have any last? Rollback too. That's rollback too to Richard Ford. Richard Ford, I'm sorry, That's Richard right. Ford's the second. That's what he told me. His daddy named Richard. He's Richard Ford II. I had him Ford in my book. That's right. He let me know that was his daddy's name. Richard Ford appointed a net, and he's an instructor. He was an instructor at EDI and a graduate. Yes, sir. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes. So many names. Mm-hmm. Look, brothers and sisters, we want to thank our dear brother, brother retired chief William Spike Jones. As all of you know, I've said in the past that the history of the black firefighters is more important to the fabric of America, just as important as the Tuskegee Airmen, the Negro Baseball League, 
the HBCUs, and America's original music, jazz. What do you mean by that, Brother Youssef? In order to be a Tuskegee Airman, you had to have the discipline. In order to make the Negro Baseball League, you had to have the athleticism. In order to be an HBCU, you had to be engaged in research and development. And in order to be a jazz musician, you have to know something about syncopation and improvisation. So I'm going to get out your way, brothers and sisters, but y'all know I can't help myself. I got to end using my poetic language, and that is this. Black history, black history, the story of my people means a lot to me. Where you came from shouldn't be a mystery. So listen up while we school you on black history, G. Oh, my goodness. You know, if you can't seem to solve the mystery, the answer revolves around your history. So carefully we drop this degree scientifically and realistically here on Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Lord willing. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in as we greet you in peace. Assalamu alaikum. You need to write the opening for my show. I can I
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.